Here we go. We're gonna we're gonna do another edition of the Dave and Amber Show, and we are like we are thrilled to have Kyle Banks, who runs Kyle Cares, as our guest today. And Kyle, if you could just you know, like we do with all of our guests, give us your diabetes journey. You know, where'd you start? Where'd you get to? What the hell are you doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was diagnosed in 2015 as an adult. I was in my mid 30s at the time and I was also performing uh, with the traveling company of the Lion King. Okay. Um, I bounced between the Broadway company and the touring company. And so we were in Canada and I just began having like these weird symptoms. And fortunately we flew to California because I didn't have health insurance coverage in Cal- in Canada, like maybe two weeks later. And those symptoms just got even like more intense, like just the basic symptoms of of type one diabetes as it's uh, developing in one's body, like the constant urination. I was exhausted. I lost like 30 pounds in like three weeks, which is the thing that sent me to seek care. Um, So I went to um, an urgent care clinic that was located across street from the theater where we were performing. And he tested my glucose after sharing my symptoms. And he told me that he suspected I had steroid-induced diabetes because (laughs) at the time I was on a high regimen of prednisone for some vocal issues that I was experiencing. And uh, it's one of the side effects of steroids is that it raises your glucose. So he thought that maybe after I weaned off of the steroids that it would go away he suggested i go to the emergency room and i was like oh i can't do that i have a show tonight so (laughs) 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 the show must go on so i was like just give me something and we'll figure it out so he prescribed metformin for me so i was taking a metformin for like the next two weeks of course it did not work i continued to lose weight continue to get sicker And I spoke with my mom about what I was dealing with. And she begged me to come to New Orleans to see her doctor, which I did. And her doctor immediately sent me to the emergency room. And I was hospitalized for two days. And that's when it was the idea of having type 1 diabetes was like introduced to me and began taking insulin. And they sent me off with uh, this new regimen of insulin therapy with a very active lifestyle. Unfortunately, I guess they don't treat many athletes. So incorporating insulin with the type of work that I was doing was a bit of a nightmare. I remember like my first day back in the show, I left once I was discharged from the hospital, I flew to Denver to meet the show because it was traveling across the country. And the elevation, oh my God, Oh yeah, that that almost took me out. But then I had like that first night, I had a crash like in the 30s. And that happened every, basically every night for like the next few months. I would just experience these crazy um, uh, hypoglycemic episodes. And for the long, I mean, just having type 1 diabetes, a new type 1 diabetes diagnosis is stressful enough. But then to incorporate that with work and the level of activity that 
is required to perform in that type of show just made it really stressful. I thought I was going to get fired every night because I would have to drop out of scenes and you drop out of a scene in a show like one, like one change in a show of that size, that magnitude just causes this whole ripple effect. And like I have to contact stage management. Stage management has to get another actor ready. Sound department has to come switch up mics and the wardrobe department. I mean, it's like so many departments that have to get involved. And I'm hearing all of this chatter on the radio night after night. And it's always Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. But, you know, my coworkers were just so supportive of me through this experience as I was learning how to live with type one diabetes and use insulin and with the you, level you, of you, were, you, were, you, were, you were taking injections. Yes, at the time. Mm-hmm. Are you are you still taking injections? Uh, well, today I'm taking injections only because <laughs> I missed. I lost my my PDM. So oh, okay. So you're okay. So let's. <laughs> For our listeners, uh, let's just clarify. Uh, I, I, I'm on the. Uh, I use Omnipod. the Omnipod. Okay, mm-hmm. I, and I assume you're on the Omnipod Dash. Yes, yes. Okay, and, and I also use the Dexcom G6. Okay, I have two questions right off the bat. Like when you went to the doctor the first time and they said your glucose was elevated, steroid induced, or however we want to say it. What was your blood sugar? Like 400, 600? What What are we talking? It was six six twenty. Okay. So the fact that they did not, I mean, I don't care if it's steroid induced or not that like your blood sugar should never be that high. And then my second question with that, when they gave you metformin, did they also give you a, like a glucose meter? Did they say you need to test like four times a day? No. Okay. No. So they're like, here's some pills. Get to see ya. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. okay. So my corresponding question to that, do you, do you remember your first A1C? It was 14. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, you and I have that in common because although I'm a lot older than you, I was diagnosed when I was 31 years old uh, and my A1C was 15 when I was Wow. So, you know, and, and I think, I think we're also examples of a major misnomer in diabetes in that you don't have to be a child mm-hmm. to develop type one diabetes. Right. Oh yes. Most definitely. I mean, so many adults are being diagnosed these days. I mean, it probably, I don't know if this is a new phenomenon or if it has always been the case and people were being misdiagnosed, but for some reason, so many adults are being diagnosed with this disease now. You know, I'd like to go back to something because, our, you know, the diabetes way is not just directed to people with diabetes, but people who are touched by diabetes. And you mentioned how your cast members Mm-hmm. For helping you out. Do you remember what their reaction was when you told them? Well, I, I have a friend that I joke with all the time. It's like, you really hurt my feelings. He was like, oh, but when I shared with him what I was going through, he's like, oh, my grandmother has that. <laughs> <laughs> like your grandmother. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, they're, they're jokesters in that show. But it was honestly that we have a physician on staff in the building with us because there are a lot of injuries in the show. Um, so she was just very like helpful with 
learned she had to catch up on like what living with this disease is like as well and just making sure I had things that I needed like snacks or she had like these uh glucose gummies that would you know (laughs) that that really worked well when I was having like a hypoglycemic episode um but for the the real thing for me that I when I began wearing an insulin pump and glucose monitor I was so nervous about having to wear these things on my body around the cast because backstage we're running around basically in our underwear because there's so many quick changes in the show. So we're all just really exposed and there was nowhere to hide in that, in that setting with my new devices. So, but I was, I, I think that was like a good thing and a scary thing all at the same time because it just forced me to just get over it. But they were all, they, they had questions. They wanted to know how I was doing. Like, how do these things help me? How can they help me? You know, they were always watching to see if I, if I was sweat, if I started sweating, you know, people would come over to me, are you okay? Do you need something? Can I help you with, can I get you some juice or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be? So, yeah, they were really supportive. Well, you know, you mentioned, okay, your show, it, your show is, I don't want to say it's an awesome show, by the way. I've seen it. It's great. Thank you. But I was wondering, you mentioned how it, it is kind of stressful and fast paced and you're running around. Did it take you a while to like understand how the stress was affecting your diabetes and what to do about it? Oh, yeah. I'm still learning how stress can affect. <laughs> depends on the day, too. Diabetes, yes, definitely depends on the day. I actually just went through some really stressful life changing life-changing situation a few months ago and my glucose was elevated for about two months yeah Mm -hmm. it does happen yeah 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 i mean nothing changed about like my daily routine i was just like dealing with something that was yeah i get it i get it so yeah I'm, i'm still learning how to like manage those situations but yeah that definitely affected me as well now going to your cgm when you got on dexcom and for a lot of us, and, you know, I've noticed this with other people who, you know, I've been on a CGM for a very long time. Was it overwhelming for you in the beginning? Well, I started with the Dexcom G5. So, I mean, that, that insert needle uh, was definitely <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm very excited about, like, the, the upgrades they've made. <laughs> To that because now it's just easy breezy don't feel a thing yeah um, it's kind of amazing isn't it it is very amazing but you know it, i found it very helpful just knowing what was happening even if i was low if i was like going down or if it was going up or if it was stable that was i mean that information was very useful with figuring out like how i should react or respond to what my glucose was doing based on like the activity i was performing does anybody on your production team have like access to your numbers? Yes, the That's physician, good. the physician that was on staff. Okay, so you you're sharing, you're using the the share feature. I I did. I, I've since kicked everyone off, but I <laughs> I, I was using okay. the share feature. <laughs> you know, I would love to talk about that for a minute because I used to share my numbers with some people, mm-hmm. and they. I stopped doing it because I didn't need a mother. Right. Was that your reasoning there that everybody was, they didn't really understand what you were doing? 
Same here. Like, you know, the people I was sharing with, I feel like their understanding of the disease was rather limited. So they would always call if they, you know, like panicking. And I didn't want to stress my, my family and friends out in that way. My sister, uh, who's one who was following me, she would be in business meetings and her, her Dexcom alert would start going off and it would like cause this conversation about like type one diabetes and her, her meetings. And so I, I didn't want to disrupt her life in that way any longer. And I felt like I had a much better handle on what I was doing. So how did you decide, because you talk about um, you had a lot of hypos in the beginning and when you were on MDI. And mm-hmm. so did a doctor come to you and say, Hey, listen, maybe we need to look at insulin pump therapy, or did you do your own research and come to your doctor? It was a combination of both. I think my doctor saw that I was having like these insane fluctuations because I would purposely, purposefully go into work with my glucose elevated like around 350 because I knew a crash was coming uh, or a crash would follow the show. And even that, I was still crash with my glucose elevated that high. If I didn't take any insulin, cut off uh, my basal settings, I would still crash because the level of activity is, was that high. Yeah, I've since figured out how to do that in a healthier way and stay rather leveled throughout. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And that's why I'm most excited about the work that I'm doing, because there are I know from my personal experience, you know, there are ways to figure out how to make life work with type one diabetes, regardless of what you're called. Why don't you share with everyone about your organization, how it came to be and what you're trying to do? Well, uh, it came about because I, I, in my quest to figure out how I was gonna make this work, um, I visited Children's Hospital in New Orleans because I figured what we did was a lot like children at play on the playground, just big kids running around the theater. So I figured I would be able to get some insight to how the kids were managing. And so I visited the endocrinology department at Children's Hospital. Uh, Dr. Chelu, who's the head of the department, was so sweet and really embracing. And I met with like, uh, like seven of the staff there. And that's when they came in and shared a study that they had just completed about the feasibility of glucose control and the onset of complications. And he explained to me that the kids were actually having a horrible time with management, especially the kids of color, that the kids were not utilizing technology, the kids lacked diabetes education. The kids were not even interested in the tech because of like stigmas associated with uh, type 1 diabetes. They would be like out with their friends and if they're having pizza, they would not take any insulin because they did not want to, you know, they don't want to feel different than their peers. They want to be normal. Exactly. They want to be normal. So that is, that was like the inspiration for Kyla Cares. And what we do at Kyla Care is we are working to improve health outcomes for people of color living with this disease. And we do that. We have a couple of approaches to that. We offer um, a diabetes tech grant, uh, which sort of removes some of the financial barriers that people experience when they're trying to access technology. 
We also offer diabetes education uh, because we want to make sure that families of color have like basic information on the latest management practices, which for some reason, like even though this information is readily available, it's not reaching communities of color. So we're working to improve that. And we also have partnerships with a number of organizations to make sure that the resources that they offer are reaching uh, individuals and families of color as well. You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that. You had mentioned before that you 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 grew up or uh, you were raised in Louisiana. Right? Mm -hmm. Do you think the diet? You know, because you know we uh, we interviewed this great young lady, Angela White. Mm -hmm. She's from Jamaica, and she was talking about how the Jamaican diet heavy carbs. Yeah. Do, yeah. It, it, you know. Do you do you see any? I know this. Kind of gotta love, gotta love those plantains. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you see a correlation between the diet like Louisianans are traditionally used to, mm -hmm. as opposed to like you know some other places? You know, I'm from Chicago. I mean, you know, I know the pizza story well. We're big deep. Mm -hmm. I I I, uh, I used to tell people that pizza for Dave Cliff was a three day event. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm pretty good at managing my diet, <laughs> but I am not giving up my deep dish. So Look, that part, <laughs> yes, I don't blame you. Um, I mean, well, you know, the diet in New Orleans, Louisiana, is very rich, very carb heavy, very creamy. So that definitely plays a role, especially in in negative outcomes, especially if one does not have proper information on how to take insulin in those situations. So I think with our approach, as I've learned, you know, people of color, we don't want to, people of color living with type one diabetes, you don't want to feel like we're, when we connect with our families are in cultural, cultural settings that we can't enjoy and partake in the delicacies that are part of our culture. And I've learned that is cause for a lot of frustration with people when they go into the clinician's office and they're told, don't eat this, don't eat that. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to figure out a way to enjoy those foods, but what do you need to do to prepare your body to, Absolutely. to, to take them? I feel like that's a much healthier approach. It's a much more sustainable approach. And then once you get people there and you, we have gained the trust of the community, then we can start talk about, talking about, you know, decisions we're making about nutritional intake and portion control and how maybe to cut back on certain things or, but yeah, I, I definitely take the approach of figuring out how to make this work with your lifestyle. Now, no. Explain, if you can, to our listeners why or what you believe the reasons there are for this disparity with, you know, there's been a lot of work recently about bringing more people of color into clinical studies. You know, what do you think are the better solutions? You know, we're also working with like DRI and Penn State and Stanford to have more people of color included in these studies as well because we just need to have our experiences documented and considered 
when various treatments are being thought of or created? I think it's a number of things. I think there is a lot of stigma within the community as it relates to diabetes. I think there's a lot of shame. I think that the diabetes community as a whole has not really been embracing of the varied experiences that people have. I think think that's sort of starting to change now. There's a lot more representation on social media. And I know um, like the tech manufacturers are beginning to use a lot more people of color in their marketing. So I think that will help. But I think we just need to open a, a dialogue with families living with this disease and making sure that they have the support that they need in order to, to be successful with management. Now, your organization, how are you funded? How, how do you do the work that you're doing? Oh, great question. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is your shot at a free commercial right here. <laughs> yes, please send us some money. Uh, it's definitely needed. Well, we are we're working with other organizations like DRI is sending donors that are interested in technology accessibility and they're directing those people to Kyla Cares, which has been awesome. Uh, applying for grants. I'm also, as a performer, I was most excited about producing these concerts. We did one uh, in 2020, the year of the pandemic. It was supposed to be live <laughs> in New Orleans at the Sanger Theater, which is a 2,800-seat venue, uh, but we instead did it virtually and had all of like the creators from Disney come on board and help build all of these elaborate sets and so oh, cool. had performers from like Lion King and Kinky Boots and the Book of Mormon, Hamilton, come up and perform. And that show is on YouTube now. You can look it up. It's called From Broadway with Love. We are looking to do that again live this year at the Sanger Theater. And we also have a, a, a few other entertainment events that we're planning for later this summer. So, yeah, we're hoping that those events will bring in. Now, can somebody, like if a listener wanted to go to your website, could they donate through your website? Yes, most definitely. You can also donate through the website. We uh, are definitely looking to build relationships with donors that are interested in the need in this area, especially as it relates to the disparities with people of color and accessing technology. So yeah, it, it, it's, now do the do any of the companies donate? Uh, the companies are donating to the events and sponsoring the events, to which is how we are sort of underwriting. Okay. Production. Okay. How many kids have you been able to give grants to? I'm not sure total. Maybe maybe over the course of three years, fifty kids. That's great. And a grant. Let me just say because I'm a grant writer and a recipient of grants, the duration of a grant. So if somebody's interested in applying, is it for a year and just making it's, sure they have access long-term or what, what do we look? It's for a year as, okay. it, as it stands now. We were initially uh, trying to cover the cost of the technology outright, but that just became a bit unmanageable, especially during the pandemic when we weren't yeah. able to fundraise the way we had anticipated doing. So we, we switched to um, 
supplying grants for individuals that are insured that are needing uh, assistance with co-payments and deductibles. Okay. Uh, and for people who aren't insured, because we never just want to tell people that, you know, there's nothing we can do. There's no help for you. We are building relationships with insurance brokers uh, throughout the country to so that we can direct people towards insurance. Because a lot of times people aren't insured because they just it's just complicated. It is complicated. So we're, we're trying to like get them the help they need to find an affordable policy and to get some coverage so that we can then help them. I got to say too, with what you're doing, the, I look at like how grants are funded and stuff. Like if you were to show in those 50 kids, an A1C went from 12 to seven mm-hmm. because they had the technology that shows forward progress big time. Yes. So that's, yes. that's a moneymaker long-term. If you're, are you able to track all of that or is it more? We are, we are. Tracking okay. That. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious from a different perspective, what kind of reaction do you get when somebody is a grant recipient? I mean, they have to be thrilled, I would think. But then again, based on what you said earlier, you know, it's a new world for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the parents, it's like it's just joy, pure joy that, you know, there's some support and assistance and for many of them, this is called, I mean, I know when I was diagnosed and I got into, I looked into like the cost, I was floored. And yeah. I mean, it's just me that I'm taking care of. I mean, I don't have like a family to support. And I was still just like, oh my God, how am I going to make this work? So it can be devastating financially for a, a family with multiple kids so the, the, I find the parents, they're usually really overjoyed. Now the kids, we found that it's really difficult to get some of them to actually wear the devices, which is ah. why we are working on like so many educational resources. We are hoping to have like meetups so that the kids can meet other kids and other families that are living with the disease because many of our kids, they're the only person they know living yeah. with the disease. You know, it, it, it's interesting what you say because, you know, I've been in this arena for over 30 years. And I, listen, I'm an adult. Well, I, I think I am. I'm chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> but so Speak for yourself. <laughs> but, you know, it is interesting how parents love the new technology they really do because it, it's eye-opening it's enlightening it's it's life-saving quite honestly because of the alarms the alerts and the share feature but for a child something that you brought up earlier all they they really don't want anything on their body because they want to be normal all right and you know it, I, I don't know if you saw this or not in a recent i think it's a pixar movie mm-hmm. they had somebody either wearing a pump or CGM. Yes. 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 And I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Because that, you know, it's kind of like what you said earlier about somebody of color being in a, in a, in a television ad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just shows it. I mean, diabetes diabetes does not discriminate. Black, white, green, yellow, rich, poor. It don't care. Yes. This is a true story. So listen, as, as a way to uh, wrap this up, can you tell everybody, and we'll make sure this is all on the website and, you know, everything, but what's your web address? Mm-hmm. And um, when when is your next 
uh, events so that if maybe somebody is in the area, they can go to the event. Uh, our web address is www.kylercares, and that's K-Y-L-E-R-C-A-R-E-S dot org. You can go on and find out about the organization. You could also donate there. Our next event, we are planning for the end of summer. I actually have a call when I hang up with you with one of our partners, Ashner Hospital, which is the largest provider, medical provider, uh, healthcare provider in the state of Louisiana. Uh, we're working on something really fun that I hope to be able to announce in the next two weeks. Okay. Um, Great. So I will definitely circle back with you about the actual date and, and what that what that event is. But it's it's uh, it's going to be a big one. <laughs> well, maybe we'll some, be able to attend. That would be awesome. We have some we have, we're talking like some really awesome talent about about doing like a really cool show. So I think and, people, and now, will this be in New Orleans? Is this where we'll be? Yes, it's going to be in New Orleans. Okay. I, now I have a reason to go back. So <laughs> come well, on. And I want to say too, because we'll, Dave and I will be in uh, New Orleans for the ADA. And I know this is your first time, my first time. Maybe we can all get together. You can show us what uh, we need to be eating. Like that would be awesome. Let's do it. I know, okay. I know all the spots. <laughs> Kyle, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And we will uh, we'll definitely have you back. Oh, thank y'all. I mean, I'm so happy that we connected and uh, are doing this. I love talking about Kyla Cares and the work we're doing and how you can just live life and you can be normal with type 1 diabetes as long as you're managing your glucose and doing what you need to do to stay healthy. Well said. That's very well said.